you're not good enough, you're rubbish, you, I'm punishing you right now, and this is coming because you're not good enough until you look a certain way. And that's the mindset I wanna shift. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is a personal trainer and spin instructor who is on a mission to empower women to become the best version of themselves. She is the co-founder of The Girl Gains, a community that aims to educate and inspire us. The Girl Gains also has its very own BBC podcast called Fit and Fearless. In addition to this, she also hosts her own international fitness retreats. She has an incredibly popular YouTube channel and she has collaborated with brands such as Triumph, Next, Adidas and BeFit. I am so happy to introduce you to the fitness trainer who is championing diversity, self-love and happiness. Welcome to the studio, Tally Rye. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy that you could come in today. I feel like the the timing of this episode is absolutely perfect. Uh, We both love to talk. So when we get together, we always dive in deep and we talk for hours. So hopefully we can fit it all in today. But I want to talk to you about your career in the fitness industry, about being a social media influencer and your own personal journey to finding confidence and exploring the ideas around self-love, diet culture, body diversity and intuitive eating. Lots of things. We have got so much to talk about. (laughs) Are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. Great. So you started off at drama school. I'm going to take it back a bit. And I know that you absolutely love theatre and you have a beautiful singing voice. So can you talk us through your journey so far? What was your experience at drama school like and how has life subsequently led you here? So so let's go pre-drama school very quickly. Um, I was not a sporty kid at all. Wasn't interested in PE. I always had an excuse. I always had my period if it was swimming. I never had my kit. I just, or I would just be very, I would find always find a way to get out, out of it basically. Um, and whilst I was at school, I got into doing drama and I found that really interesting. And I kind of discovered musical theater about 17 years old, which is a bit late in the game. Um, if you are in the theater world, you know that that's a bit late to the party. But um, I was encouraged by a teacher to pursue that. And so I went on to go to drama school once I finished my A-levels. And that was my first exposure to exercise really like consistent exercise because I was dancing every day singing acting it was a very physical course it was vocational training so I was there kind of I think like 8 a.m till 5 p.m every day um and it was the first time as well um throughout my kind of teens and growing up I didn't have any exposure to um not not at home to dieting or anything like that or so I was always um, a bit bigger than my friends. However, I didn't really care that much. It, it wasn't a huge um, thing for me. Like my body image was pretty good. Um, I think that's because it wasn't enforced at home. And so I was in a pretty good headspace about it. However, going to drama school was the first time that I was in front of mirrors consistently in leotard and tights and short shorts and crop tops and all these things. Um, and so it really... Um, got me thinking about my body in a whole new way that I had never considered before. So um, for the first couple of years, I, I was kind of dancing and loving it. Um, but I, I was really interested that my, my body started changing because I was moving for the first time. And also it's kind of that point as a woman, your body's changing anyway. And so you're kind of becoming a woman as well. So my body kind of shifted and I obviously people praise that. Um, and I thought, well, I really want to succeed in musical theatre. That was what I was really passionate about. And and as you know, Adrian, like 
it's very much um, the messaging is very much kind of your body is your CV and you are the product that people are going to buy and they Mm -hmm. are going to invest in you as a product and so I felt that to be the best performer I could be I had to be the smallest performer I could be and so I was in drama school for five years in total and throughout that five years I progressively became more interested in getting fit and getting healthy because I knew I had to be both of those things to do such a a vigorous job as performing potentially eight, nine, 10 shows a week. However, um, I also equated that to shrinking my body. Mm. And so um, I remember I went to see Legally Blonde and do you, there's a character Brooke Windham in it and mm-hmm. she's the and if you know the Legally Blonde movie she's um, the kind of the exercise fitness star and she did all the home workouts and she's got her six pack and I remember thinking that is what I want to be. That is wow. who I want to be. That is what I want to be. Considering I had no interest in sport, like <laughs> a couple of years before, I'd, n- I'd not really formally exercised before. Um, I had this bold ambition that I really wanted abs. I wanted a six pack and that became a real focus for me. So whilst at drama school, obviously my, my body image was kind of magnified. I felt like I was under a bit of a microscope. Um, the messaging during my training was very much, you know, you need to look the part and in theatre they equate looking the part to being smaller we had a casting director come in and say you know if you're a size 12 you need to be a 10 if you're a 10 you need to be an 8 if you're an 8 you need to be a 6 um which is in hindsight really toxic message to send to young impressionable girls Mm. um and I was one of the older ones at that point um I didn't go to my kind of three-year course until I was about 20 and I turned 21 in my first term so I was a little bit further on but the girls who I lived with who were like mm. 17 at the time, 18 at the time, really um, took that on board too and struggled with that mm. messaging as well. So, however, that time did lead me to exercise because I wanted, so I always say I was never the best um, the best dancer. Um, I was an all right um, actor and singing was my strength. Yeah. So I felt like to get my dancing better, I, I just wasn't, I mean, I was doing my best in class, but what mm. what... If I wasn't going to be the most talented natural dancer, I would try and be the fittest and strongest dancer. Mm. So at least I could keep up with everyone. Mm-hmm. So I found solace in the gym. I started um, getting into that. And because drama school was a stressful time, I started to have gut problems. And so that made me start to think about my eating. And during that time, I also... So as I discovered the gym and I discovered the idea of um, clean eating at the time, mm-hmm. I started to document that online. And that's kind of how I ended up Um, sharing my journey on social media my friends naturally got sick of me posting it on my kind of personal account shall we say and I started my Instagram it was called clean fit lifestyle I did not know that did you not know that no oh well that was that was it for a couple of years it it was probably like two or three years before I changed that name you know um and yeah so that was that was me documenting my journey I was sharing my clean eating recipes and um a lot of it was the food I was eating because I became really fixated on this whole eating clean thing. I discovered other bloggers at the time and that was a real trend. Not Mm. only that was a real trend in the kind of the health and fitness world, but also when you went onto Instagram and those kind of platforms, that was the hashtags you're seeing was clean eating and that was the advice we're being given. And uh, there were a lot less um, kind of experts at that time. It was kind of, Mm. I got a lot of my nutritional information from Pinterest, for example. I yeah it was all very kind of just trying to find something because I wanted this body and I wanted to do this and um I discovered macros and my fitness pal and bodybuilding all through this little app on my phone yeah and it opened up this whole new world for me and um it's a rabbit hole there's so many things I think once you start on one thing like you said about you know drama school and actually for anyone listening who doesn't know obviously the reason I'm sitting here relating so much I actually also went to performing arts school and so I can attest to what you're saying then about spending hours in front of a mirror and I think perhaps for the first time really seeing your body as you said as a dancer as like an instrument that you Mm. can fine tune and that you should develop and that you should invest into as you said whether it's fitness health diet whatever it is it's just like a physical it's like you can objectify your body to use it as a tool or whatever it is so I'm really relating to that I'm sorry to interrupt you Uh, and then also I guess you know when you said then about you were young at the time but actually you know like you said 20 whatever I think I was maybe 16 when I was and so that I can really relate to what you're saying and I saw a lot of 
you know, my peers at the time really kind of going deep into, like you just said, you know, dieting, trying to change their bodies, trying to be, and we, you know when you said about being the smallest, mm. that was, yeah, like people were praised for their weight loss. They were oh, praised yeah. for, you know, you know, they were looking, their body, they look like a different person at the end of, of three years. And yeah, people could say, oh yeah, you're dancing every day, but it wasn't that. No. It was extreme dieting. It was, and like you said, people were praised for that. People were actually picked out as being like, look at what she's done. Look at how hard she's worked. You could achieve this too work harder like eat less and I think that's really interesting so in the context of drama school that's glorifying disordered behavior essentially um in the context of social media by gaining more followers by gaining more likes by getting more validation from the recipes I was sharing and the way my body looked that validated my disordered behavior um and that's continued and as you say like a lot that's kind of what in my opinion diet culture does it validates these behaviors that aren't actually healthy for us mm. um but we believe we're doing the right thing because that's kind of what we what we believe health to be so at the time i genuinely thought if i lost weight and if my body was changing that meant i was doing healthy right mm, well like, done i thought yeah, well exactly. i'm doing it i'm yeah. i found the magic formula this is what healthy is weight loss mm. that's just what i thought it was um however i have since kind of learned that it isn't mm. um but yeah so by sharing my journey online, it meant that I found this community, like I said, that validated my disordered behaviors. And therefore I became even more obsessed with the food I was eating. Mm -hmm. I became even more obsessed with my body. I had a boyfriend who was living on the other side of the world at the time. Mm -hmm. And I felt like in a world of uncontrollables, so drama school is a very, it's a very subjective environment. Um, and I was kind of like, what am I gonna do with my life? Where's my career going? The only thing I could control was what I was eating and what my body looked like. I felt like that was something I could do. Mm. Um, and that was my way of coping. That was my coping mechanism for that kind of intense period of my life. Leaving drama school, um, I started a new relationship, my current relationship. Um, and that kind of challenged me out of the bubble I'd lived in. Cause I'd lived in this kind of controlling bubble for two years where I I got my six pack, I got my abs. I, I supposedly did it. And yet I was so withdrawn from social situations. I was so, um, I would deprive myself of so many of life's joys just to tick that box, just to reach that goal. Um, but meeting someone who kind of showed me, you know, that I could be more relaxed, that there was a different way was, very healing for me and it was a big part of my my healing in general um and also entering the real world so soon after I graduated I knew I wanted to go into personal training I knew I wanted to work in the fitness industry and I thought I would do them alongside each other because there are many performers in in the fitness world mm. they kind of really complement each other as careers mm. as we, we are both sitting here <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're very complementary however that never happened I I um, became a personal trainer and I never looked back and um I've continued to share that journey online. There's been many ups, there's been many downs. Um, and yeah, I'm still telling my story and I'm still writing my story. And um, yeah, I'm really passionate about sharing kind of what I've been through. So I hope that other people don't go through a similar thing. Yeah, well, I definitely want to talk to you about um, exactly that, the journey, because I've witnessed it. You know, I've known you now for, mm. I guess, maybe like five years. It's a long time. And as I mentioned at the start, you are one third of the Girl Gains movement. So would you agree that, you know, as you discussed years ago, around the time that we actually met, actually, you initially, I guess, made a name for yourself online as a personal trainer and also as a social media influencer. And initially you focused, you know, your content was around workouts, lifting weights, clean eating, as you said. And, you know, I read an Instagram post that you did where you said, I quote, in 2013, I was consumed by clean eating, hit training. I was obsessed with the pursuit of my six pack and I was very controlled about everything that I ate. But fast forward to today and, you know, you have been on a real journey and it seems to me that you are now on this mission to really speak to those people who may be living their life in that way now and not to say that it's right or wrong, but to kind of challenge them to think why, why do they feel the way they do about their body, exercise and food? So when and why did this mind, this mindset shift happen for you? You mentioned, you know, about the relationship mm -hmm. and about becoming a personal trainer, but was there a specific turning point or has it been a gradual shift? So I always say that kind of, I kind of quit my fitness pal whilst I was at drama school and I stopped formally calorie counting and macro counting at that point. Um, so even as I qualified as a personal trainer, I wasn't necessarily counting calories. 
However, I still um, had a lot of rules and restrictions around my fitness and and exercise and food, and it was all still very controlled. Um, And so I slowly have transitioned over the kind of last five or six years, I slowly transitioned into um, an intuitive eater and an intuitive exerciser. However, along that way, I would be like, I'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm being intuitive, I'm being intuitive and I'm being intuitive. And then something would come up. So the, uh, Girl Gains, for example, when we launched our website, we decided we were gonna have a photo shoot for special website photos, content. And um, at the time, Vicky, one of the girls was uh, competing in bodybuilding. And she had dieted down, um, I don't know, really, you know, it's a very extreme sport. And she had dieted down. And so Zana and myself, we felt pressure that we had to diet down. So I embarked on a diet again. And that time I did my calories again. I did all this stuff again. Um, but I didn't get the same results. In fact, I barely changed. My body didn't want me to change. Um, and I remember feeling so low like that's to me that was actually the lowest point I felt about my body image um as I said before I I find it really ironic that when I was at my biggest as a teenager I really I had pretty good body image Mm. I wasn't I didn't I not even I had pretty good body image I didn't think about it Mm. when I was at my leanest and my smallest it was all I thought about it was all I cared about. It was what everything was about. And if that, if I felt like I hadn't, didn't reach the standards of the people around me, I felt like a failure. And when my body didn't respond to a diet, I felt like a failure. And I held, I had a lot of comparison going on. Girl Gains, Girl Gains is t- amazing, but there's also been a lot of personal growth going that period for me in the sense that we're three girls and um, we're three different body types and, I compared myself to these two other women who are naturally slim, um, six foot two, you know, all this kind of stuff going on. There's no way we all have different genetics. We all have different upbringings. We all have different DNA. So we're all gonna be different. However, I felt like because I didn't look like them, I was less than, which um, which was kind of a turning point for me. That was the actually, that to me felt like some of the lowest because I technically wasn't as obsessed anymore and yet I still my body image had got worse Mm. so from then on that was probably about three years ago three four years ago now and from then on I've really worked on yeah just challenging myself in little ways it's always little moments where you go out to dinner and actually order what you want rather than what you think you should have or get the dessert and don't worry about it. Um, Or snooze the alarm and sleep instead of going to the gym. These were the moments that helped me get to a better place. And then about 12 months ago, I discovered intuitive eating and the concept of intuitive eating. And I'll explain to the listeners, it's a framework of 10 principles created by two dietitians called Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. And they created it in the 90s and they were working with lots of clients who um, had were they were giving them the most perfect meal plans and they were putting them on these diets for weight loss and yet their clients kept coming back to them even though they'd followed the plan and everything like that they they couldn't keep the weight off they couldn't sustain it so they created they felt like that prescribing weight loss diets wasn't uh wasn't helping what they needed to do was help people tune into their bodies and build the trust back within themselves again um because what calorie counting and macro counting and prepping all my food and only eating certain foods that I felt were good, essentially what that kind of diet culture had taught me was to not trust myself, that I couldn't tell myself what to eat. I had to have a coach tell me what I should eat. I had to have a meal plan. I had to have these things. But what intuitive eating has done through the 10 principles, it's helped me um, build trust back within my body. So I have the power back now. I'm in control, but not in a controlling way in the sense that I know my body knows best for me. And so that has really um, filtered into many areas of my life and particularly with exercise as well. A lot of my, the work I didn't have done through intuitive eating has taught me to really think about why I exercise, how I exercise, what are my true motivations and how does it make me feel and how do I actually want to move my body and so that's been an incredible experience for me and I love um, the work that the intuitive eating community online I think 
Um, I'm so inspired by other practitioners and it's something I really believe in. And I, th I think many of us who have, have been, I mean, we all live within diet culture all the time. Mm -hmm. It is, it's the media messaging. It's the, um, it's the fat shaming. It's the guilt we feel about food. It's all of these things. It's all this thing, all these messages that maybe overtly or subconsciously tell us that smaller is better. And so what this community has done and they're kind of saying no that's like it doesn't have to be that way and i'm finding it very empowering and very liberating to um like i said get the power back and really enjoy food again yeah. and enjoy exercise on my own terms again and um find find a a lifestyle that works for me and not what i think because that person on Instagram is doing that, I need to do it. So it's yeah. been, yeah, it's been incredible for me personally. Great, it sounds wonderful. I mean, it's very complex, you know, I'm sure mm. with intuitive eating, not just the food side, but as you said, how to move your body, when to move your body. Because a lot of people, you know, they have this initial response, which I'm sure you've heard, which is like, oh, intuitive eating, eat what you want, move when you want. Well, if I did that, I'd never go nothing. to the gym. Or oh, if, I, if I could eat what I want, oh, I'd have ice cream every day. And it's that thing where people who say, no, you wouldn't actually. If I said to you, there's no rules around food, there's no good food, there's no bad food, there's none of that. You just eat if you're hungry. There's no set time. It's like, it's breakfast, you must eat. It's dinner, you must eat. If you listened and like you said, it takes, I guess, a lot of unlearning and then yes. a lot of relearning to go, I'm hungry right now, but what am I hungry for? Because, you know, of course we're all, you know, well, I say it all, some people, weird people, I think, who don't enjoy, who don't enjoy sweet stuff. My sister-in-law, she's not a sweet tooth. Mm. And I'm always like, what? I don't understand you. But me personally, you know, I, I love sweet things. So I, you know, so but, but you're only going to want so much of it right and then you would be like okay I've had enough of that so I think it's very complex this intuitive eating and intuitive exercise I think that you know you talk about it online in a very uh, a very clear way and I think you're doing a great job of shining a light on it what I would say though is I guess I guess some people, you know, who are resistant to this and who disagree, I'm sure you've heard it too, they disagree that you can be healthy at any size. So they argue that, you know, being healthy, being fit does look a certain way and that actually they'll question, okay, so, you know, obesity, for example, in, in this country is costing the NHS billions of pounds, which it is, and that millions of people around the world each year die due to diet-related illness, while, you know, there are a portion of the population who may suffer from disordered eating habits they say there's a greater proportion of people that are overweight and quote unquote unhealthy and that in fact as a nation we need to be doing more we need to encourage people to get more active they need to be eating better and the stats don't lie like as a nation we are apparently are in an obesity epidemic and you know we should all be doing more about that so what do you think is intuitive eating you know gonna glorify this is it gonna make it the problem worse or yeah what do you think Okay, so this is a huge, huge topic. I'm gonna do my best. Um, so let's start with the obesity stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, the, the common thing is, yeah, but we have an obesity crisis in this country and, you know, bit people, fat people, they're, they're all unhealthy. And, and actually you said um, you can be healthy at any size. So I really prescribe to a body of work called something health at every size. And the misconception is that you're trying that anyone at any size, either end of the weight spectrum is super healthy. That's not the case. Um, within health at every size, there certainly are people who are at all parts of the spectrum who are unhealthy. Mm. That's just how it is. Mm. Um, and actually, d the people who are at the, m the most risk with, in terms of their weight, the people who are at the risk, the most risk of um, bad health are people who are underweight, but no one talks about that. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting, but no one really talks about that. Um, what health at every size is on a all about is about respecting all bodies. Yeah. Um, and regardless of whether that person chooses to engage in health in any form, in health behaviors, if they're healthy or not, everyone deserves respect and opportunity and access to health. So the way I see it is, no, not everyone at every size is gonna be healthy. What we need to encourage is health behaviors, health promoting behaviors. And we need to, make those things sustainable 
and maintainable. And the problem currently, and this goes into public health messaging, and I'm sure people are going to disagree. I would strongly recommend reading the book Health Every Size by Li- by Dr. Linda Bacon or Body Respect by Dr. Linda Bacon and Lucy Afremore. Um, they write about this in much better depth than I, I do. Um, however, the the problem with the kind of current way of treating the obesity epidemic is just to say everyone needs to lose weight. Yeah, We're not talking about maintainable, sustainable weight loss. And that's a de- debate in itself. However, there is a, a huge body of research to say that diets in the long term don't work. And actually 95% of people who lose weight in the long term will gain it back. Mm-hmm. So we often see before and after photos in a gym setting, for example, and it might be a 12-week transformation. However, I'd love to talk to those people in the next year, two years, three years, the next 10 years, the likelihood is statistically that your body will not only gain back the weight that you lost, but it will also, it could regain more. Mm. And then we go into set point theory and then it gets a bit confusing. Mm, But basically what I think we need to shift so that the the paradigm I believe in is that we're shifting from this weight centric approach to health, which is what I said before, that mm. I believed that getting healthy was losing yeah. weight. I just felt like that was truth because that is largely the messaging that's out there. However, the the evidence that I see really shows that when we shift our mindset to be weight inclusive and we show respect to all these people and when we help people have more access to to food, to um, to exercise, to um, mental health care, mm. that they can um, look after themselves and their body can be bigger and can be healthy. Mm. The health markers, BMI is problematic. Um, it, it was a maths equation made by someone in, um, made back in the day, yeah, like a hundred years ago. And so when people say you're overweight, you say over what weight? I think it was like in 1998 in America, they changed one of the markers in the in the BMI scale. So some people just woke up one day having a normal BMI and then the next day they were overweight. So it's very confusing. And I think that's, it, there's a lot of talk about BMI not being great. And I think that's where that gets confusing. Um, however, I'm really passionate about shifting the mindset around fitness from weight loss from changing what your body looks like to something where you understand all the benefits of regular exercise and how good it make you feel because there is no denying that um you know most people i feel like majority of people who would engage in regular exercise are going to benefit from it Mm -hmm. no matter what their body type so i don't care if someone's body changes or not i'm interested in creating um, healthy habits for them. I'm in, I'm interested in getting them moving more. I totally am so up for moving more. I'm so up for eating better. And I think what's important to talk about in this conversation as well is it's, is yes, those things are amazing, but a lot of people's um, health in terms of disease, all of these kind of things, for some people, it's not a choice. You're going to get cancer. You're going to like, you, you can't choose what, what happens to you. But what is also important is that in your environment and um, these social determinants of health are something that people don't speak about. So poverty is mm-hmm. something that makes people unhealthy. It may be their their work life balance. They might be doing having a couple of jobs. Um, they might have uh, they might have they might have lost a partner. They might live in a an area that's highly polluted. So there's many many factors that go into people's health that that are far beyond just what you eat and how you move mm. and, and size so, size because yeah. when you're saying weight i think sometimes people it's not just weight it's size and mm. i think that's really i mean you're doing such a good job like literally i'm sitting here like oh yes and i think you know <laughs> the fact what you said about the extremes of both ends of the scale yeah. and also in the middle of the scale you can you know this whole thing people used to say about skinny fat or this awful terms and you think you can be slim and people will assume good for you you're healthy you're mm. you know actually some people are slim and they're very unhealthy or whatever and well, I, I always say my my slimmest clients my naturally slimmest clients because we all fall at different parts on the spectrum naturally yeah um my slimmest clients i always say my nat- my least fit clients and in fact i've had a couple of conversations with people recently where they've always said well i just don't exercise because i felt like i don't i don't have to 
And I'm like, no, because, we all have they're to. slim. Yeah. And the size, as you said, society tells you that at that size is an acceptable size. So you don't have to exercise because you would only exercise to change the way you look or to yeah. lose weight. But exercise, as we, as we both know, the benefits of exercise, obviously, are list as long as my arm. I could go on and on and mm. on about why I run and this and that. But that's actually, another podcast. It's another <laughs> podcast, exactly. But the benefits of exercise are, you know, what you look like. And just because you're slim does not mean, well, I don't need to exercise. I don't need to burn off calories that's not the sole reason to to exercise we all need to move regularly we all need to find something and when i talk about moving i'm talking about gardening i'm talking about getting off the bus to stop earlier i'm talking like i'm talking about taking the stairs instead of getting the lift if that's where your starting point is that is fantastic and like any kind of movement you can do every day is important we i think we don't talk about yeah we've become a really sedentary um society Mm. through phones through technology through so many things Mm. so if there's a reason to get outdoors in some fresh air i think that is fantastic and that's a really great place for people to start so um yeah i think if people want to learn more about this i would definitely like i said before point them um to the health every size book because Linda Bacon is one hell of a smart lady and mm. she really unpacks so much, the well, to me, the whole argument of this. Okay. And it blew my mind. I'm definitely going to read it because I know we discussed this before and I've got to be completely honest, you know, I, you know, I embrace the fact that different body types, different shapes, different sizes can, you know, be healthy, can be strong, can exercise. You know, look, you only have to look at a marathon to see different ages, abilities, yes. shapes, sizes, and they are all running a marathon. So I can appreciate that. However, I think where sometimes I, perhaps have a you know conditioning or a prejudice that I need to learn is perhaps where you know this as you said health at every size I still have these ideas and I'm going to be completely honest I hope I don't get pillarized for this no, that, you, you know if someone in my family was say for example my sister my mother my daughter was obese and was severely obese and I I would fear for their health and I would want them to, you know, if it was things like, you know, uh, high blood pressure, you know, diabetes, sleep apnea, all of these things that I have been told and read and researched are associated with being overweight, I would want them to address that. And it's not because, you know, I, you know, obviously, like I said, people like your sister, your mum, you love these people. I don't care what they look like in a pair of jeans. I don't care if they want to run a marathon. I care if they live. I care about their quality of life. And I think that where this gets unstuck is where people are like, you know, yeah it's about it's not about fat shaming it's not about you know body diversity it's actually about that exactly health living can you healthy can you thrive at that that with your body that way do you know what i mean absolutely and i think that's such a normal response and i don't think that's a response to um i don't think you should judge yourself on that in the sense that that is the social conditioning that is so normal um however the more you look into the work um Linda Bacon kind of points out really cleverly that a lot of these things like high blood pressure, for example, hypertension, type two diabetes, um, we also need to look into the lifestyle factors in that situation rather than just pointing the finger at fat and saying body fat is to blame. Mm. Body, like what's that? There's not a huge amount of, um, there's not a huge amount of evidence that shows that the body fat on your body alone In is isolation. the only reason yeah. for these things. There's, it's, there's so many reasons for these things. And so that's when, you know, to say like, oh, just lose weight is um, a problem. And also there's also the conversation of weight stigma. Mm-hmm. And actually there's a lot of talk about this at the moment, which is, is really, really great because there's, um, there's, I believe there's like a study just come out that says the more, the problem is within kind of the healthcare world within when you're talking um, in, a, in the medical setting the problem is that if you are in a bigger body um, you're not treated as fairly and that's a lot of um, where the health every size practice comes in it's all about getting people fair um, and equal access to mm. to health because I might go if I was um, a, a plus size person a fat person and I went in with a headache I may well be sent away to go and lose weight rather than looking at the actual headache that if you and I went in there we would get the full scans we would get all this we would get the blood test we would get everything um, and there are many many examples of that online I really recommend if people are really interested in following a blogger called your fat friend she spells it at yr fat friend and she writes some incredible essays and she um she is in America and she is on the higher end of the weight spectrum 
but she asks her community to tell their experiences of what it's like to live in a in a bigger body and i have to say that's been a really eye-opening humbling confronting experience for me as a privileged person in a in a privileged body um to really understand and that's really um opened my eyes to how these people feel and that that it really makes me feel more passionate about creating inclusivity within the fitness industry about um like we spoke about about body diversity about seeing people of different bodies moving i'm so passionate about that because i really do believe that you have to see it to kind of believe it and Mm. there's a phrase like see more be more and i think if you see someone that looks like you, a lot of the barriers to engaging in health behaviors are weight stigma themselves because you're ashamed of what you look like and you're scared of how you're gonna be treated in those environments. Many people are scared of, we did a podcast with a, 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 um, a personal trainer called Loretta and, and she, calls her, she um, calls her business Fuller Figured Fitness and she is a, a, a fat plus size woman. And I, by the way, I say fat as a descriptive word, it's never offensive. Um, I apologize if maybe you might be offended. Um, And she spoke about the literal physical barrier of going to the gym whereby her body didn't fit through the barrier, the turnstile. No way. Yeah. So so all those things that we take for granted, these people already feel so marginalized Mm. and they're trying to do these things. They're trying to to get involved in these things and yet society is still excluding them. So there's that that element of it in it as well. So that's something I'm personally really interested in and how how can I use my privilege to... um, to you know make a path for these people mm. um to have access because i think you know like i said moving your body is so fantastic yeah i want more people to do it i want everyone to do it mm. um so it's just finding a way of how we can get everyone involved yeah well i think you're doing a great job i think there's lots of ways you know we need more visibility as you said in mainstream mm. media we need it from magazines we need it from brands we need it from clothing we need it from fitness spaces but i do think you are doing a great job Thanks. so i just wanted to acknowledge you for that personally tally so how you know since you decided to yeah ditch diet culture and you know forget forget this pursuit of relentlessly pursuing a lower body fat and thinking Mm. that yeah slimmer would be better and healthier obviously that has been a journey of learning oh yeah so how has that shift of focus impacted your relationships your career and ultimately your happiness well let me just go a bit deep for a second i really believe that diet culture is oppressive in the sense that I think it's one of the ways, particularly women, I think it's one of the ways that we're still oppressed. So we are taught to be distracted by our beauty and by what we look like and the clothes we're wearing and the skincare we're doing and the way we exercise and what we eat. Um, and and I, I believe it's a distraction from us fulfilling our full potential as humans. Um, it's, it's keeping us thinking that we're not quite good enough yet to actually engage in social action, in, um, in our relationships, in the, our careers. And so for me, the burden of that being released has completely opened up my mind to learn. I have read more books. (laughs) I have listened to more podcasts. I have absorbed more knowledge in the past kind of 18 months than I ever have done before because I'm free. Like that is no longer in my mind. Um, I really think that I have, I really believe that as people, and I really believe I I have a really strong sense of purpose, and I really think that, you know, am I can I swear on this podcast? Go for Go it, for it. <laughs> <laughs> ladies in particular, and men as well. But ladies, we have important shit to do. We have people's lives that we can change. We can impact the environment. We can work on social action. We can raise get, the future. We raise can, children. yeah, we can. Um, get involved in our schools in our communities and we can really help people and make a difference in this world Um, and if what's holding you back from starting those things is you being a certain dress size or you weighing a certain amount like please just let that go please understand that I believe that is 
a patriarchal move of, of you know, of a, a system holding you back from being the person you're meant to be. And for me, it's been liberating. I've never been happier. I'm very fulfilled at work. Um, you know, I only, a life is good right now because I that and I feel yeah, I feel like I have such a I feel such a strong feeling about this. I really want to do my bit to make a difference, but I really want more people to join me to make a difference. Um, and I hope that as I raise awareness of diet culture, of how pervasive it can be, that we as women kind of start to push back against it. And that certainly is happening. I think like you've got Jamila Jamil really speaking up about this with her eyeway movement. You've got um, amazing shows like Channel 4's Naked Beach. You've got, and it's, all this stuff's becoming more mainstream. Mm. Um, and so I'm really excited about the shift. I think there's really, really positive stuff happening. And the more I talk about this, the more women are like, yes, I, I'm so fed up of feeling like shit about myself. Yeah. I'm so ready to feel good mm. about what I eat and how I exercise and what my body looks like. Like, I just want to feel good about myself. Yeah. And everything's been telling me that I'm not quite good enough. You're not quite eating perfectly enough. You're not quite doing the exercise right. You're not quite this. And they're fed up. I'm fed up. I'm, we're all fed up. Wouldn't it be great if we just lived in a world where we all just had the opportunity to do what was right for our physical and mental health? And that, you know, if those, th if that diet culture element was taken away, like how liberating would that be? I love it. I love it. Here so that's how I feel. Good for <laughs> you. I'm so happy for you and I'm happy to hear you say it. And, you know, I wish, as you said, that more people could feel that way, that they could, you know, it's, it's, it's so difficult to, you know, speaking about something and hearing something is one thing, but I think it's so difficult to unpick and unlearn the way you truly feel. And actually hearing what you said then about, you know, we have stuff to do, women, you know, we all have brains in our head, we have ideas, we have ambitions, goals, all of these things. And, you know, I, I did a previous guest with Amy Abrahams and she was talking about when she had a moment with her fiance at the time, now husband, where he's a creative, um, I think he's a writer. And she was, you know, she asked him just randomly, they'd been laying in bed and I think she was thinking, about like her thighs or she'd seen them in the mirror and she was thinking about cellulite and the size of her thigh and the shape of her thigh and oh wouldn't it be better if it was a bit slimmer and if I lost a bit of weight or if I got rid of that cellulite and then she asked her fiance at the time in bed what he was thinking about and he was you know thinking about something creative like something he was going to write something he was some passionate work and she was like why am I wasting time, energy, thoughts, all that on my looking at my, he's not doing that. And that's not to say that no men ever have, you know, the they do. body, yeah. of course they do. But it was really, she said it was so, so, she was so like, she was like, what am I doing? What, she almost like slapped, what am I doing? Why am I wasting my time? And as you said, we have more important things to think about than the shape of our butts or like, you know, the way, but, it, but it's been just drilled into it's us. conditioned. Every day, like how you look, you know, as you say, is it sexy? Is it cool? Is it slim? Is it white? Is it this? Is it that? And it can always be better. It can yeah. always be, you know. It's never enough. It's never enough. It's never perfect. And we should, of course, strive for that because that is going to give us what we want. Happiness, you know, um, adoration, uh, you know, uh, acceptance from others. It's so hard. It's so, so hard. And so if, you know, listening to this, if you're thinking, yes, oh my gosh, I want that. But as I said, you read a motivational quote or you read something about, you know, a lot of the 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 narrative around it is about self-love, self-acceptance, you know, speak kindly to yourself, you know, write a list of things about yourself that you love, look in the mirror and tell yourself that you're beautiful and that you're enough. What about at the start of your journey when none of that works, when you don't like what you see in the mirror, when you can't write a list of things you love about yourself? Because I know for lots of women, lots of clients, even friends, they could write a list of 10 things they hate, but they would struggle to write five things that they love. So do you have any advice for us, Tally, for people getting started? How how do you cultivate that self-love and actually mean it? So I really, so yeah. And, and I was so guilty of contributing to that narrative of like, yeah, just love yourself. And ironically, like I'm in a much better place now than when I was saying those things two, three years ago. Um, and yeah, like it's taken me personally the last six, seven years to get to this point. So this is not an overnight thing, by the way, this has done a lot. But I think um, when, if you look at the intuitive eating model, the first principle, and it's always the first, and it's always a thing, is called reject the diet mentality, reject diet culture. And it's essentially getting angry. It's kind of 
realizing like, yeah, no, that isn't wrong. I don't like that. No, you shouldn't be telling me that. And it's starting to realize how those messages have affected you. And it's the awareness and then it's being annoyed and it's, it is being a bit angry and it's okay. It's like any pro it's like any grieving process. You have to get angry. Okay. Um, you know, any breakup you're, you're breaking up from something. So you've, you've got to like, you know, delete them from your life, block it on this. Do you know what I mean? Get rid of the number. Don't call them. Um, and you'll want to go back and you'll want to keep calling back I and you'll want to, and you'll want to text them again. And you'll want to be like, Hey, can we hang out one more diet? Maybe one more diet, maybe one more this. Oh, I could just do this. But if you can persist with that rejection, with that breakup, because it's a breakup, mm. do it. And that is the first step. Um, and from then, particularly with our bodies, um, the big thing for me, and you said it earlier, like I love this. There's an account um, of two researchers um, called Beauty Redefined on Instagram. And they've also got a TED talk that I, I thoroughly recommend people check out. And um, they have a phrase that, really stays with me and when I do have those moments of doubt and I have to say they're really few and far between these days because I'm too busy thinking about what I have to do um but if I have a moment of doubt I just remember my body is an instrument to be used not an ornament to be looked at Mm-hmm. And I say that again, my body is an instrument, not an ornament. I have things to do and they are that are far more important than for me to be looked at. And so that really sticks with me. Um, and for me, I, I can't say like, oh, I overtly love my body. And you know, the body positivity community has evolved and its origins are in kind of black fat acceptance, but body positivity now is very much like I love my body look at me in a bikini I'm naked mm. and I love it and that is a part of it for some people but I'm but glad you me, brought that up because it's, it's not. not the whole thing and it's not the origin and as yeah. you just said a lot of people I feel who are now being I guess kind of you know heroes of this movement you know oh yeah good for you for telling people to embrace their curves or embrace their cellulite or embrace their stretch marks they're still in a slim body they're still in a white slim body and they have never experienced perhaps the you know the marginalization mm. yeah they've never felt that society you know deems you as unworthy or disgusting or lazy or horrible just because of the size of your body yeah whereas i think yeah i really wanted to to, to speak about that because a lot of people now are like oh isn't it great you know self-love love your body look i'm loving my body you can too and it is kind of oh I, I do yeah i have issue with that because i want everybody <laughs> yeah. to love their body that doesn't mean if you're a size eight six whatever you are entitled to love your body and to be honest i've experienced that myself tally as a as a slim woman as a slim mother I have experienced you know I'm not allowed almost to talk about certain things because well it's fine for you because you are slim Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that when someone's slim that they might not have a a body issue that they might not love their body so I do want to make that clear everyone I hope will find a way to love their body but I do think you know rightly so that movement and where it started and who it is for needs to kind of be respected more Yeah, totally. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's not to say that whatever your body type is, that your feelings aren't valid, Mm. but it's also having awareness of your privilege and understanding that um, you, so the way I kind of describe privilege in the sense is that you may feel really badly about your body, um, but the larger society is probably not telling you that you're wrong. And by that, I I mean... um, for example, like we could all get on a plane and worry and not worry about sitting in like economy and making sure that the seat fits. Like that's not a problem for us. Mm. So that's where it's that that's as part of privilege. Or we might be able to, um, for example, I could walk down the road eating a bag of crisps and no one's going to shout abuse at me saying, "Or you, whatever, don't eat that." Like, "Oh, you should you shouldn't be doing that." In fact, as a slim person eating a bag of crisps, it's often like, "Woo." you're eating a bag of crisps and it's praised so Mm. that's an element of privilege so it's not to say that you might not you have because diet culture is going to tell you to feel rubbish about yourself and it's not to say that you don't it's just to have an awareness of the people who are systemically feel crap about themselves Mm. because they're getting it on a much larger scale they're going to the doctors and then their cancer's not being diagnosed because they're not getting the proper screenings that they deserve purely they're just told to lose weight Mm. so or so you know there's those types of things so that's where we have to recognize that yeah we have to just have a a, a cultural awareness Mm. a social awareness um and so you know yeah we're all gonna have down days it's totally normal but we have to be respectful of kind of the system and i think um sophie hagan who's a 
comedian and she's just releasing a book called um happy fat and it's all about how she's like happy in a fat body and that's very rebellious in itself Mm -hmm. um and i heard her speak at an event recently and and she was great and um she was saying that you know body positivity is great and it's and it's great to say like you learning to love your body and it's great at um accepting yourself and that is definitely part of the process however what's really going to change things like and you know stop those messages coming is if we get if we take action against the systems in place that make us feel that we have to work on accepting our bodies. Does that make sense? Definitely makes sense because I think, you know, something that we talked about then when I asked you about, you know, how can people start? And you said, you know, rejecting diet culture. And you said you might have to, I love that analogy of, you know, it's like a breakup, you might have to do it again because you're going to be tempted to go back. And I think that is some people's fear is that they say, okay, let me reject diet culture. Let me try this intuitive eating. Like I'm fed up with the diets. I'm fed up of hating myself. Let me try this. But what if it doesn't work? What if I just gain weight and then as a result like you said instead of going i've gained weight and i'm happy they go i've gained weight and i'm still unhappy you see what i mean and that's that is hard and it's the intuitive eating model and is everything is very nuanced to the person um but you're right like there might with with letting go of diets depending on where you your starting point was whether you had been chronically under eating, whether you had been overeating, whether you had been restricting certain foods and you're just exploring certain foods for the first time, your body's response is gonna be different. Like some people are gonna gain, some people are gonna lose, some people are gonna stay the same. Your body, this is where you have to trust in your body knowing how to get to the set point weight at which you thrive. Mm. So um, I what I found really interesting when I was looking into this was evolutionary. Um, the reason there are less slim people in the world, like naturally slim people, is because we're in a time of plenty right now. So mm-hmm. food is in abundance. But when we're in lean times, so historically when we've been in lean times, people in smaller bodies don't survive. Yeah. Um, because that your body needs a certain element of body fat to protect your body. Of course. Um, it's actually protect it's protective and it's gonna give you energy and all these types of things. So na- so for most people, your body wants to keep you at a slightly higher weight, particularly if you've gone on many diets, because your body will equate those diets to the lean times mm, historically. So it's like the fasting or yeah. The, yeah, famine and feast. There was no food available. So it's like, yeah, as you said, you're going to starve to death. Yeah. So then your body's like, well, you know, your um, Atkins diet feels the same to me as, uh, as what I understand to be a uh, famine. So when you stop doing that, I'm going to give you more um fat basically to support you in those lean times because if that happens again we we're gonna survive it yeah so that's why um weight cycling um is actually more harmful than just letting your body do its thing yeah like um the more your body your your body weight yo-yos up and down that's when it can become more detrimental to your health um and your set point's gonna get higher with each time so the best thing to do is to, I would say, give up the fight. Stop fighting your body, work with your body. So, um, and that's where I believe things like self-care measures such as exercise and um, therapy and sleep and hydration and vegetables all come into play at you working with your body. Mm. Um, But you're doing it from a place of, I'm working with you because I care for you and I want us to survive rather than you're not good enough you're rubbish you i'm punishing you right now and this is coming because you're not good enough until you look a certain way and that's the mindset i want to shift amazing amazing i mean we've said it all (laughs) so i really want to talk to you about the power hour because it is the power hour podcast and i i you know i love as you know morning routines i love to know how people start their day why do they do it in that way and yeah i mean i could talk to you all day tally but let's talk about that you've known me for a long time you know that i get up early and that i love to move in the morning etc so tell us what time do you wake up in the morning what's the first hour of your day like well it varies Um, because I'm a personal trainer and I still personal train um, part-time. So I do kind of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm getting up early. Thursday mornings, I'm getting up early to teach a spin class. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not as regimented as you. So if I know, so Tuesdays, for example, are my working at home day, I'll always wake up a bit later. Mm. So I like to, naturally, I wake up about 7.30. Today, I had to wake up at 6. I didn't love that as much. Um, (laughs) And my, my power hour is, well, here's the thing. 
I I can be a bit of a phone scroller in the morning. Which and, and I know, I know I'm going to jump in and tell you before you even say it. You're a faffer. You love oh, to faff. <laughs> I, if anyone wants lessons on faffing, then come to me because I know how to do it. I'm generally, should I should have like a PhD in faffing. Um, I'm great at it. Um, but in the mornings, um, when I have to go to work really early, so for example, my first client this morning was at 6.45 a.m. I live really close to where I work. So I will um, sleep for as long as possible and get ready as quickly as possible and get there. Um, on days when I get to do my own thing, um, I like to wake up, I always have a pint of water whenever I wake up because I always feel really dehydrated in the mornings. So I love, I'm always really super thirsty. So I always want to have a drink. Um, I will have a shower, get dressed. Um, I will have my breakfast. Have you been on your phone yet? You know you said you're a scroll. Well, up. here's the thing. I'm trying to not do that. Okay. But sometimes I do. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to not do that more because... Um, I'd listen, I'd listen to something and they were talking about it and I thought, oh, that's me. That is so me. I need to be more productive. Um, however, it's really hard when... Um, so sometimes I'll look at my phone in the morning and I'm really inspired by something I've seen. Like someone might have left a comment and I'm like, oh, yeah. And then I think about it for the rest of the day and then that gives me the content for the day. Or someone will have said something and I'm like, hmm. I don't agree with that. That's really annoying or that's really frustrating or, oh, I'm annoyed. But um, but that's the reaction, right? So yeah. I guess that in itself, it's like, it's a, it's, a, it's rolling a dice. So it's like, am I gonna, you know, am yeah, I gonna- Yeah, what am I gonna find today? Yeah, because if you're starting your day being reactive as opposed to necessarily what's on your agenda, that's where I think mm. can be quite, I guess, I guess, it, yeah, it's like rolling a dice. Could be good, could be bad. You just have to, you don't know. <laughs> But do you have, so I ask my guests every week to give us a challenge, something to do. And it can sometimes be, you know, like a power hour challenge, productivity hack. It can be, you know, get out your comfort zone. But I'd really like you to maybe give us a challenge around what we've talked about. Do you know what I mean? Around how we can adopt some of these philosophies into our own lives and how something that could make us happier. So I want you to think about what exercise or what movement, what sport, what do you want to do rather than what you think you should do? So I want you to go and play. I want you to go and have fun and find a new little hobby. So whether that might be doing a pole dancing class or going um, indoor rock climbing, or you're gonna go and do some, um, I don't know, you're gonna do some Zumba class or something, or you wanna go for a big hike. What way can you move that makes you feel really good, that is fun, that is something you look forward to, that is enjoyable, um, explore and play and find something new. Um, if you've never done any form of exercise before, um, start small. Maybe it is like, I'm gonna go for a walk today or I'm gonna go for a swim or something like that, something pretty simple. But if you are a gym goer who's felt like quite rigid within a set routine that you felt like you have to do to get certain results, then switch it up, listen to your body, try and try something new, have fun. And I, th I think um, fitness tries to be really black and white, like either doing it right or you're doing it wrong, when actually the main thing is that you're doing it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just have fun, play and enjoy yourself this week. Cool, right, cool. Well, let us know if you are getting involved this week with the Power Hour Challenge. Please let us know. Uh, reach out to myself and Tally and tell us how you're having fun and moving your body this week. So before I ask you my final question, Tally, can you tell us where can people find you online and in real life? So if you want to find me online, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, at Tally Rye, which is T-A-L-L-Y-R-Y-E. You can also find me at www.tallyrye.co.uk. Um, you can sign up to my newsletter on there. Um, I also host events as well. So um, I run events called the Best Me Seasonal Series. So four times a year, we bring women together to discuss these kind of ideas around how we can look after our mental health, our, our health should I say. The last one was on mental health. Um, and the next one, I haven't decided yet. So wait to find out. It's gonna be in August. I also host retreats so i'm about to head to italy shortly um but if you want to come on a retreat with me i'm doing a uk retreat um in the peak district there's a couple of spots left in august and then also there's a retreat in portugal in the end of september 
Amazing. Sounds good. So my final closing question, which I ask to every guest is that it's all about time. So firstly, thank you, Tally, for giving me your time today. I do really, really appreciate it. I have loved this conversation. I cannot wait to share it. I can't wait for people to hear it. I want to hear their responses. I just think this conversation has been amazing. So thank you. And I think that time is the most valuable thing we all have. You can get your money back, but you can't get your time back. So what is the most valuable thing that time has taught you? Time in the sense of my last 28 years on earth has taught me that I said like, I have things to do and I really can make a difference in the world if I put my body image aside and I work on being a better human. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. I really hope that you have enjoyed this episode today. Get in touch, share it with anyone who you think would value, would benefit from hearing this message today. And don't forget to rate and review us over on iTunes. That really does help the show as well. So we can reach more people and book more amazing guests. So have a fantastic week. I really appreciate your time. See ya. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 